because you know we do tend to ramble but with you I am very excited to hear your story yay um okay <laughs> I'm recording we don't have to do video look we're obviously not going to include video but if y'all want to stay that's fine um no this is nice it's like a little fun little like oh my god girls night yes okay (laughs) have you finished dentist school almost i'm supposed to graduate in may inshallah so a couple more months yeah oh my gosh i'm so i'm so excited for you i was like i need lots of dental care so i will i will come on down to ohio (laughs) please do (laughs) and i tested negative for covid recently so i'm not bringing my disease self you know I'm I was so like, excited. <laughs> the dentist industry, like, I remember back in July, I had to go get like a, I was having like jaw pain. I had to go get a check. And I was just like, this person's going to be in my mouth during a yeah, pandemic. Yeah. I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it is pretty scary. I'm not going to lie, but I'm just, they, they've been really good about getting us vaccinated. Good. Um, so that was very but, cool. I did feel Pfizer? like very, yeah, I got, I got, I got lucky. So some of my classmates, got Moderna so it was just like whatever they had yeah, so- in stock at that time yeah so I got scheduled I got Pfizer so I am gunning for Pfizer if someone yeah. even comes at me with a Johnson Johnson you know I'm like get them right I'll be I'll like watch. I'll pass thank you yeah <laughs> I'll take no. anything there was this TikTok it was like I'm a vaccine slut just stick it in my butt <laughs> yeah <laughs> I saw this one was like, oh, should I shave my coochie for my vaccine appointment? And I was like, you go, girl, if you want to. Okay, I'm going to do my introduction for Sada. I've thought about it. Ooh, your vows right. to me. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Sorry, This Podcast Sucks. Today, I am joined by a guest speaker. Um, so we have our usual co-host, myself and co-host number two. <laughs> we decided to go nameless. But everyone knows who we are. Our guest star is born in Saudi Arabia and raised in Ohio. And she went to, in Cleveland, Ohio, she went to Revere High School. And then she continued her studies at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, where she pursued a major in communication sciences and disorders in the School of Communication and was pre-dental. She then continued on her studies and got accepted to the dentistry school at Ohio State University, where she's currently completing her dental degree. Um, So fun fact, she also is already a doctor. She passed her exam. Welcome. Round of applause. (laughs) In her spare time, enjoys fawning over cats and buying shoes. Yes, that's accurate. That's perfect. A girl after my own heart. <laughs> Thank you so much for the warm welcome. I am very excited to be on this podcast because, as maybe many listeners don't know, has been one of my lifers from when I first started that term, which has been like ten years now or something like that. So it's yeah. been a minute. Um, yeah. So this friendship pretty much runs deep there's definitely a before and after value to it um I can't mm. really remember the before so yes no one and, remembers the before so. right <laughs> I mean we met okay we met in 2011 mm-hmm. and so we moved in 
um, to the same dorm. So we were at Hobart, the women's dorm in Northwestern, and we had been hooked up by a mutual friend, uh, Nihad Hindi. Yeah. Um, because her older sister had roomed with your older sister. Exactly. Yep. And so they were just like, oh, do you know anyone going here? Whatever. They hooked us up. We talked on Facebook for a little bit. I was trying to rival the number of exclamation points puts in a message. (laughs) (laughs) And we were like, yeah, cool. Let's live together. Yeah. Um, Um, Yes. First think of me. Oh, my God. Okay, so I had lots of first impressions of our favorite ever. Um, But at first I was like, holy smokes, this is like the smartest person I've ever talked to. (laughs) Just because of like, it was around AP time that um, AP testing time that we met. So she was like AP testing, like every day, all day, like all of these AP classes. And I was like, yeah, I have one on Monday and then one on Thursday. And then (laughs) like, I could pretty much count them on my one hand, the number of AP tests that I had. And I think she needed like, almost all 10 toes, including fingers. Like it was insane. I was like, wow. Okay. So I'm definitely the dumb one here, but that's okay. Um, I can, I can rock with nerdy. That's fine. Um, and then I remember thinking, oh no, because you loved country music so much. So I was Mm -hmm. like, Hmm, I'm going to put that in the let's see how this friendship goes category. <laughs> was it um, in the plus side or the uh, negative side? It was column? in the, it was a bit in the negative side. I have now developed like an affinity for some country songs. I think it's Which partly those, because like, of missing her. But, yeah. but at the time I was very, like very aversive to country music. So I was like, oh no, but it's okay. She's still got some pros. But yeah, when I met her in person, she was like, my brother was with me. My brother and my mom were with me, helping me move in to our dorm. And she just like would not talk to my brother at all. So I was like, ooh, okay. So she's one of like those Muslim girls who like is maybe very awkward around boys. I don't know. Like, does it talk to them? It was like very strange because I was like maybe it's because I've grown up with like brothers and like got went to public school all my life whatever it's never been like that weird like the gender interaction thing but she was just so not even talking to him that I was like okay okay so I'm the dumb one and also less religious one I don't know like I was like oh no like she's gonna think I'm the worst I just didn't want to be weird you know how to meet someone will be like flirting with their brother and everything like, I didn't want to be that person so I was yeah. like okay whatever just like pack all your stuff and I also <laughs> wanted to be normal in front of your mom like that's I didn't true. want anything to be weird that's true but anyways the, the rest is history we hit it off I think pretty quickly um so yeah that was that was really that was really my first impression was like I don't know how much this friendship is gonna like blossom but I'm happy that I was wrong about that yeah now look at you yeah honestly in the first few days or like first few weeks I like kind of ditched her to do other stuff and hang out with other people. <laughs> I was like yeah whatever like I didn't know if we were getting along really oh yeah. when did when was your moment of realizing that we could be friends I can't remember that uh okay well um, I'm at the event or something, right? Okay, maybe we probably hung out as a group with like our class or something. Yeah, we have probably have pictures of it. I don't know. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So that's what I remember. And then obviously from there, um, it was very easy for me to know that I would love like 100%. Because you know how like sometimes you click so well with people that like, you know, that their people will be your people like without question. That's how yeah. it was when I met you. So I was like, okay. I always yeah. got that vibe from you that you like, you were so warm. And I was like, oh my gosh, this person is, you know, I constantly, I'm always like, how is she doing? Whatever, you know. Yeah. Like you were and just, she would always pass so along. Sweet. She would always pass along the greeting or like, this is hi and all this. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. How is she doing? <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. Everything is pretty good. I'm, yeah. happy. Every, I'm happy. Everyone does get that impression of sort of bubbly. And so, personable and charming and everyone can be friends with her but I know you're tough I know she's tough thank you she's definitely tough but she doesn't let a lot of people in like she she will see everyone will say oh my god Sadafal is like a good friend or my best friend but like that's just the impression she gives everyone and you'll know when you're in her inner circle I love that I love them I I don't like when people you can tell they're just friends with anybody and they're not really it's kind of superficial they're not really looking to make a connection Mm -hmm. you know but I could tell like just in our brief interactions you're always so like warm with me and I could tell it wasn't like a facade oh I'm so glad because I genuinely felt like you were great people so I was like this is easy I love love to get to know you thank you (laughs) but it's true I suppose I'm kind of like a Sam's Club card and not a card like the Sam's Club store itself. You got to get a card to be in my inner circle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't use that analogy again. Sign me up. <laughs> but I see I love Sam's Club, so I don't mind being Sam's Club. <laughs> But I don't support the Walton Company, so let's just like keep that in there. <laughs> None of us do. Oh my god! Right. So tell us about dental school. How has it been for a per- woman of color, Muslima? Mm. Yeah. Dental. So it has been a lot, um, and I did not. I I was very much naive to that when I first started dental school, um, because dentistry is still a very male, a very white dominated field. Um, which I suppose I should have realized because both of the dentists that I've ever had in my life have been white men. Um, but I never really let that deter me or like stop me from being what I want to be when I grew up. So kind of entering that mm, social club, so to speak, it's kind of like one of those, like it's, it gives me country club vibes. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know about you as like a fellow person of color, but like, I don't usually feel the most comfortable in like a country club. You know what I mean? That's just like not what well, they weren't my... designed for us. Exactly. They weren't designed for us. That's not like my level of status. That never has mm-hmm. been. We've been comfortable, but never in excess. So mm-hmm. it's just going into that type of community was very unusual because not only being like one of the few people of color in your class, because our class sizes are about 100 to 110 people or so. Um, and being like one of three black or African-American women, we only have one African-American woman and the other two of us are African. So it's quite daunting, um, especially with some of like the older generation being our faculty members, um, cause older generation are, you know, white men. Um, and not to say that all of them were like difficult to work with, but some were a little bit challenging. Like they wouldn't necessarily take you as seriously as your fellow white male classmates. You know, like they might just speak to you differently. They wouldn't speak to you like a colleague 
they might speak to you like someone who wouldn't necessarily understand everything that they're saying. And you could kind of tell, like you can kind of tell because also like to the two classmates that I sat next to in preclinic, which was where you'd like learn a lot of your hand skills were white men. So you could literally tell the difference because the one before me, you know, that's where like, like the clinic director would talk or like the, whoever was um, in charge of you guys, that clinic session would talk to that person and then talk to me and then move down the line and talk to the one next to you. So you're like, hmm, you're talking to me a little differently, not in you a mean way, it. but in a bit of a, like less of a colleague way, which you would literally, which you'd see with like your classmates. So it's been interesting and it's been a lot because there's a lot that you need to learn. And then also teach like dental school is like a lot of learning, but then there was a lot of just inherently by the identities that I am. It was a lot of teaching because a lot of people who come into dental school are coming from backgrounds of like homogeneity. So everybody looks like them. Everybody practices their faith like them. Everybody is their same like identity. And so being in the class with Muslim students or like black students or like a Muslim woman who is black, who wears hijab, like it was like a huge culture shock to a lot of people. Um, And I'm, I don't know. I think undergrad sort of took a lot of like, took a lot of energy out of me, but in a good way, like you like really fight for a lot of the causes that are important to you. But by the time I was in dental school, I was like, do I have to teach everyone everything again? Like I'm tired about being like a representative for my faith, for my, you know, for my ethnicity, for my background, for my race group, like for my gender. Like, it's like a lot. So, but and yeah. God forbid you're not like a good representative. Exactly. Like, God forbid I have a bad day and like I, you know, don't act right mm-hmm. in whatever way I'm trying to act. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, that's the, that's the impression that someone might get. So it's a lot. Yeah, I was, I was just going to ask you, like, what was the difference between OSU and Northwestern? I know Northwestern was a very white community to be in. Like mm-hmm. it, it was very segregated. Like you had the the black kids, the Latino kids, the Muslims, and then just like the white people and Asian people together. Yeah. I would say the biggest difference between Northwestern and here was that at Northwestern, although it was like a little microcosm of like the segregated neighborhoods of Chicago. So that was like kind of how our campus was. I could find my niche. So I was happy because your soul is still supported by the people that you choose to surround yourself with. So I had still a community. So I was like the Muslim Cultural Student Association um, was like my home base. And then I could venture out and have, you know, friends who were different than I was. Um, But I still had like my home family base. Mm -hmm. In dental school, that base is like a lot smaller. You know, it's like a lot smaller. I have a lot fewer people who are the home base, which doesn't mean that the relationship is any less beautiful and less strong and less like necessary for my well-being. But it just felt like there was a lot more lack of diversity in dental school, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I almost failed the drilling. Oh my God. Oh my God. I think I remember like crying to you guys. Was I crying? (laughs) I can't remember. But uh, yeah, so it was like my first year of dental school and hand skills are entirely something that is so abnormal to like the norm, to like the regular course of study for anyone who's trying to stay in the STEM field, I'll say. I'm not going to like architects. I'm sure they have to have really great hand skills for drawing or like artists and, and things like that. But like the regular old, like STEM fields, like pre-med, pre-dent engineer, a lot of times, like you don't have to 
like manual dexterity isn't something that you have to put a lot of effort into, but like dentistry, which I'm an idiot. I should have thought about it before. Like I should have played an instrument or I should have like learned piano or like done origami or like worked on my hands in some way before that, like my whole life. I felt like I just wasn't preparing myself my whole life because it was a huge learning curve for me, especially in the beginning. I just didn't take to it quickly, you know, cause like I didn't have to, like, it's, very minute measurements, very detailed, very nitpicky. I'm more of a big picture gal. I've never been a like detail oriented gal. And dental school really taught me that like, you have to be detail oriented. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? (laughs) So it was like training my eyes and my brain to notice so many small little things. And then also training my hands to do those things. And boy, oh boy, was that hard. Like it was a, it was a challenge. It was definitely big hurdles in the beginning, but I put in lots of time and effort to practice so that I wouldn't fail because it was pretty close. <laughs> like it was like close, like you just wouldn't pass procedure. And so you just have to take that test again or, you know, be in like, um, extra practice sessions that you'd have to attend every week. And so I think in the long run, being kind of bad at it in the beginning has helped me because it's forced me to have to be in like extra practice sessions for so long that now I've just had like more practice than maybe someone who was in my class who had just came to a little more naturally. Um, because that's the thing about dentistry. It's a lot about like just muscle memory. So the more you practice, the better you'll be. So I guess in a strange way, being sucky led me to hopefully be like a lot better. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you were really worried about it. I don't remember you crying, but you were like, pray for me. (laughs) Thank you. Cause your prayers have clearly worked to get me here. So I appreciate it. Let's be honest. It's our mother's prayers that are getting us. Yeah. A hundred percent. hundred percent. That stuff is powerful. Juju. (laughs) Tell us about, um, I don't know the correct term for it, but Arab students in dentistry. Did you yeah. know that? Yeah. So Arab Dental Society. Hmm. Um, yes. So it is my favorite part of dental school because the first couple of years in dental school, like the first year, especially as the first year for a lot of people, I think is in any new, in any new institution, you want to find your niche. You want to find your, your groove. Um, you want to find your group. So it's a, it was a lot of like exploration. So I joined like um, the American Student Dental Association. That's the big one. That's like also it has a national chapter and everything. Um, and I joined SNDA with Student National Dental Association, which is for the minorities. So that also has a national chapter. Um, I joined like the Hispanic Dental Student Association. Um, anything that I could find um, that was like at all of interest to me, I wanted to join to find that like family. Um, but it started to, I started to really realize that like, I wanted something that was more philanthropic. Not that these other organizations didn't do a lot philanthropy wise and like for the community, but it just wasn't enough for me. And it didn't, and it wasn't like enough for my identity, if that makes sense. You know, it was like, I can, you know, minorities, I love them all. There are allies, solidarity, but there's nothing quite like having, you know, a group that truly represents you. So yeah, we, uh, me and one of my fellow classmates would have lots of discussions about this. So by our second year, he and I were like, okay, like, why don't we just found this? So originally we wanted it to be just called Refugee Smiles and it just be 
a philanthropic group where we just did community, like community work. We'd, and then our ultimate goal would be to do service trips overseas in refugee camps and serve those most in need. But we found that there was a really big need in the school for an Arab, like an Arab group as well. So we were like, okay, why don't we found, why don't we found an Arab student group? And then within that, the branch of it would be um, Refugee Smiles. So that would be the philanthropic branch of it. So we started working on that. We went through all the paperwork, all this like, you know, online applications and whatnot that need to get it up accepted and everything for you to be an official student group. So then we became an official student group, had our, had our board members. That was totally just so let's just pick people that are great. Um, and I think that we had one of like the best boards ever because it was so diverse. It wasn't just Arab students. Um, it wasn't just Muslim students. Like it was everyone who was passionate about what we wanted to do, which was not only like raise awareness and like support um, for the cultural diversity that we have in our school, uh, because it was like huge. We have like a fairly huge representation of, you know, Arab students in our college, which was weird. It was like a it was like a strange minority group that actually like had a lot of numbers in it. So not like to have like our voices heard and like to get a seat at the table, so to speak. But then also like just people who are passionate about helping those most in need. So that was incredible. It was amazing how much we were able to accomplish by just being like one of the newest groups on uh, in our college, which I loved. That's awesome. Yeah. Tell us about your trip to Jordan. Yeah. So we were able to do thus far two trips to Jordan, um, which, by the way, I loved. Um, and I know Sada will appreciate that because, you know, home country and whatnot. Um, but it was incredible. So the first year was, it was a challenge to get it approved because our school up until that point really didn't have an organization that did international travel for dental service trips. So to be able to like get the school to like allow us to do that and to go to like the Middle East, which was like such a, not necessarily triggering, but it was just so foreign to them that they were like, what even, where do you even like want to go? Is it safe? And blah, blah, blah. So like finding like what's considered a safe country to be at, but like that had lots of need in it and whatnot was, was a lot. But thankfully we were able to find an organization, the Atlantic Humanitarian Relief that we worked with that allowed us to go on their mission trip, if that makes sense. So in the refugee camp that we went to, it's called Zahtedi Refugee Camp, which is the largest Syrian refugee camp in Jordan. They have dental care that they do regularly and they allow for serve, like, you know, for people to come for service trips. So it's like they already had the groundwork there, but what they needed from us was the people and then um, don't like supplies. So we like fundraise, we did so much, like we got donations and everything. So then that first trip, I didn't go because I was a second year and they could only take, I think, seven or so people. Um, and so it didn't make any sense for me to take a spot from someone who could actually do work because in dental school, you have to be a third or fourth year to actually be able to provide dental care. You have to pass your board exam before like your board exam before you're allowed to do clinical work. So I, I got to go on the second trip, was to, which was in March 2020, um, right before the world literally shut down. Um, we were in Jordan, living our best lives. 
helping those most in need. It was actually quite hilarious because the night before we needed to come back, which by the way, we had to move our tickets a day early because Jordan was saying they were closing the borders. So we were like, oh, okay, we got to go. So we had to move our tickets up a day. Um, But the like night that we, our last night there, we were of course like having the time of our lives. We went to this restaurant where everyone was dancing, obviously no masks. There's no, like no one is talking about COVID. My phone was just like erupting with messages from classmates back home saying like, oh my gosh, like I think they're canceling school for at least another couple of weeks after this. So it was like the spring break that never ended. And we were like, I don't know what's going on in the world. I don't know what's going on with the world. And then when we came back, we came through O'Hare and I was like, oh, okay. The world is literally in a frenzy. So yes. So I guess it was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life, albeit one of the most loony returns because like COVID really just disrupted a lot, but it was incredible. We were able to rally and then get so much support from the community here um, because we were able to raise over $15,000 and get supplies with all of that. Um, And then we were able to help. We were able to accomplish, I think, almost 400 procedures in like the five days that we were giving treatment. So we would get there at like 730 in the morning. Um, So we would leave actually at like, I want to say we would leave around 730 in the morning to get there by 8.50-ish, 9, because the trip was pretty far. We stayed in Amman, but Zatibi was a little outside of it. Um, and then we would leave there around 5, 5.30. So you'd be working the whole time, um, seeing whoever you could. It was like on a first-come, first-served birth basis, doing fillings, extractions, root canals, um, whatever you could. Um, and you'd like just try to give as much care as you could, as fast as you could to everybody that was there. So it was the most humbling experience ever, but it really affirmed why I want to be what I want to be, like why I want to be a dentist. And it's to help those that are most in need. It's not necessarily to make the most money or to live the most lavish life. Like, sure, I'm ex- I'm not going to deny that I'm excited to be making money, but I always want to remember and like remind myself that the money I make and like what I do, I constantly want to be living in like a giving model. So I never want to like fall into the fall into fall into privilege, you know, and forget that like my privilege is literally not mine to keep. Like it's mine to share and like to help better others and like help others too. So anyway, I'm kind of rambling, but Yes, that is me. Awesome. Um, did you have any questions, Barra? No, all of that was amazing. I mean, <laughs> um, there is a lot that I did not know about, you know, dentistry. And and I like that you mentioned that you want to share your privilege because mm-hmm. for some, um, being able to afford dental care is, is a privilege. And I remember like when I had like my job pain because I had TMJ from stress um, last summer. Mm-hmm. And um, just I was like in pain the whole night. I like I was like crying I couldn't sleep mm-hmm. so just imagining someone having to live with that because they can't afford dental care you know and there being you know dentists that could help them but not being able to help them because you know of course they can't take on every patient especially if the patient doesn't have insurance or can't pay mm-hmm. but yeah was, you're amazing Sara. <laughs> no not even close but I appreciate it I hope to like live up to that but um you do mental pain is no joke I think that's where I think 
this country is a little bit busted because I don't know what these insurance companies are getting at, but I don't understand why it's so difficult for people to receive dental care. Like, I just don't get it because like if someone is making the rules that these insurance companies and they have ever experienced like even a bad cavity, okay, just like a bad cavity and you eat something sweet and that cavity just bothers you as they tend to do, then you would be like, hmm, maybe things like this should be covered. You know what I mean? But it's like people in privilege who never had to worry about dental care, it seems, are making the rules for what they should cover, like insurance wise. And I'm like, I just don't get it. Because if you've ever had to live a day with dental pain, then you understand that it's almost unbearable. Like it it interrupts so much of your day. And I'm actually reading this book right now called Teeth. It's such an unusual name, but it's literally the um, topic of it. It's It's called The Story of Beauty, Inequality, and the Struggle for Oral Health in America. And so far, it's been an incredible read and something I think that all dentists and people in the oral fields and also insurance companies should read because it's just this cycle that people are put in where dentistry, the like it talks kind of about historically dental decay and like um, dental pain used to be a problem of the wealthy. Because the aristocracy and the like people in power and the monarchs and whatnot were the only ones who could afford sugar because sugar was like a hot commodity. And so they're the only ones who could have it in their sweets, have it in their tea. So then they would develop cavities as, you know, their hygiene was not particularly great. So it was like a problem of the wealthy. But now we see that it's pretty much reversed and that a lot of the food that people who are in lower socioeconomic statuses can afford is processed, isn't great for your teeth. It's pretty much impossible to get proper dental care without paying a lot of money. And you just don't end up having time for it because it's like, do I use the money that I'm getting from this paycheck to pay for like food, utilities, rent, or do I use it to fix a tooth of mine? A lot of people opt for the former, you know, as I would too, you know? So it's just like a goofy world we live in. And because I think it shifted into being a problem of the underserved and the problem of the people who are like lower socioeconomic status, it's become a problem that falls on deaf ears because that's kind of how this great nation can be a lot of the time, right? Because capitalism drives everything. So if people don't have the money, they can't pay for people's time or services and then they no longer have, they no longer have like the same power behind their voice, sadly, because money talks. So if this was a rich people problem, I'm sure that everybody would have free dental care. You know what I mean? But we would all have those teeth. Right? <laughs> like everyone would have healthy teeth. They'd have everything paid for, but it's not the case. And it's, it's been very tricky because that's my least favorite part about dental school is working with people's insurances. And literally having to be like, I mean, this is how much it'll cost. And I understand that like, that's a barrier to care, but there's nothing I can do. You know, like as a student, I literally have to be like, there's nothing that I can do for you. When in reality, there's everything I can do for you. I'm learning the skills to do things for you, but I can't because money, it's just bizarre. Mm -hmm. It's bizarre. Mm -hmm. And I find a lot of times people are choosing to just get a tooth pulled when there are so many other things that could happen for that tooth, but they're more expensive. So like the cheap option, the cheapest option a lot of times is like, just get it pulled. But then like you lose a tooth, like you literally lose a tooth. 
And then you only have like 31 others. And that's if you had all of them to begin with. So it's not, so it's very unfortunate that a lot of the best options are sometimes most expensive and therefore the ones that are not opted for. So I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird world. I know you've been working in a discounted dental clinic as a student, um, which has been really great, like for your career goals and everything. Right. Have you encountered like people coming in from like botched home teeth jobs or something? Yeah. Well, not myself, but um, I have seen like, okay, in one of my classes um, where we learned about root canals. So it's like the specialty called like um, endodontics. So an endodontist is someone who specializes in doing root canals. Um, And I guess for people who don't know what root canals are, it's like when you have to go into the tooth and then you take the nerve out so you can save the structure of the tooth. But essentially it's like no longer a vital tooth, but at least it's still there and, and it's not going to cause infection and whatnot. So in that class, we learned about one patient who came in and we saw the radiographs, like the x-rays for it. And the patient was in so much pain, but couldn't afford a root canal that they literally took, you know, those metal, um, metal clothes hangers, you know, the part that like hooks the there's like twisty part, like there's a twisty part right before it comes down, like to the shoulders or whatever, that twisty part was literally what they used to like burrow themselves into their tooth, like by themselves. I don't know how they managed the pain, but that sounds horrifying. Like that they literally were in so much pain because like by the time you need a root canal, it's like gone into the nerve. The the, the decay has gone into the nerve and it's just going to cause like lots of pressure, lots of pain and sensitivity. That's a lot of times unbearable. So that's what they opted for is to literally burrow into their own tooth so that they could relieve some of the pressure and pain. And I was like, holy guacamole, that is too much. Like that's too much, like mess, like that's a mess. And then there's just other instances where you just find the strangest things in people's teeth because they're just like, I don't know. I just started to stick things in because like it was just causing too much pain. So yeah, I like, thankfully haven't seen anything that strange. A lot of times people will put like some sort of temporary material that you can get over the counter into like a hole in their tooth. Like for example, if their cavity has gotten deep enough where it's actually like created a cav, like a cavitation in the tooth. So like kind of a hole, then in that little hole, they'll put like a temporary paste. Yeah. Just to cover it up. But yeah, people do a lot of things uh, to like avoid having to come to the dentist sometimes for fear sometimes for lack of resources, but don't be scared of your dentist guys. Okay. Like, come, please don't do things like that. Like I swear I'm not so scary. No, it's fine. I love my dentist. Good. (laughs) Nice. Um, I think we're good for the professional part. Do we want to go into fun life stuff? Sure. Okay. Well, tell us what you do to relieve some of the stress of your job in school. Sure. I am a big, okay. So I guess there's like a multi-factor here. I love um, to relieve like stress. I'm a big proponent of journaling. So I enjoy doing that. It helps like me kind of just get rid of all the mumbo jumbo that's happened and like get it out of my system. And then like, I feel like once I've written it all out, it like cleanses me and I'm done with it. You know, I don't have to think about it as much. I can revisit the entry if I need to, but it helps like literally just empty my brain of the stress or like the burdens of that day. So that's been like very good. You know, if like, I just find myself getting too caught up, too stressed out too whatever it is, 
I'll just go ahead and sit down and journal things out. I'm also a huge fan of TV and movies. So I'm like a big, I'm a big junkie. So there's not really a day that I don't watch something on TV. Like at least while I'm eating dinner, I know all health people and like dietitians and whatever tell you don't eat and watch TV at the same time. But also like I enjoy it. I appreciate doing that. So it just helps with decompression also, especially I've actually learned that I watch dumber TV now, like, like literally like dumb, like dumb sitcoms that don't really have too much of a story. Cause like, I don't have much mental energy to think anymore. So like, if the story is too deep, I don't know if I can handle it, but if it's like a Cinderella story or like Freaky Friday or all of the perfect movies of our childhood, I'm game. Yeah. And then I guess like since nowadays, it's mostly clinical work, um, a lot more like going out with friends and eating now that a lot of us are vaccinated too. And the weather's getting a lot better. We're able to like actually visit restaurants and like sit outside. So cause go, yeah. Cause Ohio is not doing like the best with COVID, but as long as you vaccinated and like trying to be smart, then they're letting you sort of function. Um, but yeah, yeah. So those are some fun things that I like to do to like de-stress, I guess. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and for context for our listeners, Sada is very into movies that like if I'll text her, call her, you know, just to check up or whatever I want to have, like, you know, an hour long conversation, she'll be like, sorry, I'm finishing up that movie. Can I call you back? Or like, oh, I'm watching, I don't know, some Western movie with my mom. Can I call you back? I'm like, you don't need to watch this right now. Like, yeah, you can push off to a different time. I'm not always going to be here. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I love you. I also would be remiss if I didn't say another stress relief and thing that I love more than anything are my people and my lifers. Sad of being one of them. Even if I have been watching other movies instead of giving her the time that she wants. (laughs) But yeah. Nice. But I miss museums and amusement parks. I miss those things. I think COVID has really taken a lot of the stuff that I do really enjoy um, away, but hopefully soon enough stuff will get back to normal. Yeah. I mean, COVID's still my hobby. I am a serial concert goer. I love live music. And yeah. I had four amazing concerts lined up, like big names and everything, but yeah, we were supposed to go to the 1975 in like three months from now. No, no. In June. Last year, last in 2020, last it was like June, June of 2020. And for context, they're like my favorite band. I am on the bandwagon for sure. Uh, the bandwagon welcomes all. Like <laughs> anyone who loves the 1975 is good people, in my opinion. Please listen to this, Matt Healy in 1975. Thanks. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so, what are your guys's? Mm, opinions, stereotypes, misconceptions of the dental field or dentists. I know we're, we skipped professional stuff or like we're finished with it, but I want to know. I mean, I think I got the impression from when I was younger that like most dentists are like East Indian or Southeast <laughs> Asian. Really? I'm always Daisy and Indian dentist. Like the family practice that we went to was this dude, and you know, he had given me Invisalign and everything. Um, and then his son was taking over the practice, so just another Daisy dude. And I was like, All right, I guess they're just mostly Daisy people. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, what about you, Barya? 
Oh, I'm sorry. No. Remaining nameless. I apologize. I keep putting y'all on blast. <laughs> I did not even catch that. <laughs> I'm trying to remember my first experience with a dentist because it was in America. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, oh, okay, I remember. So I went to a really good public school. Um, nice. And I remember one day they just had, do you remember those days when like they would have like um, an optometrist mm-hmm. or like a dentist would come in? Yes. So they had like a dentist come in to like, you know, give us like tips like, oh, you know, you guys are kids now. Yeah. So here's what you should do to your teeth to make sure that you don't end up having to, you know, come to me later on having them all pulled out. <laughs> right. And I remember just, I don't know. I don't know what the dentist said that scared me, but I just like spent the whole time after school just brushing my teeth over and over and again. <laughs> I remember I, like, I, I just brushed my teeth for like hours. You know, because I was like, I'm not brushing them enough. <laughs> That's so funny. But yeah, people are, are very afraid of dentists in a way that I I don't know what it, I don't know what it is about your profession, Sarah, no. that you know frightens people. I think it's the teeth pulling. Probably it's probably the teeth pulling. Could be the needles, the drills. Don't make a pleasant sound. I think it's the intimacy of it all too. Like you're pretty vulnerable. Like I think about it and I'm like, Loki, this person's just laying their head on my lap. Like my hands are all up on their face or like all up in like it's stuff that like I wouldn't do normally especially like as a Muslim person too like I'm not just out here touching people you know <laughs> like it's not like not that not that other faith traditions are just touching people but like you know we have a little bit more like I suppose rules with it I don't know mm-hmm. I don't know um but yeah so it is it's very like personal you can't really lie about how well you're taking care of your teeth either so it's Mm -hmm. a vulnerability aspect to it I think and some people get very upset if they feel like any judgment so it's a lot on the dentist to make people feel like not judged that they're doing a good job and like supported and like safe yeah safety is a big thing so sometimes Sometimes people just don't feel safe. Like, I don't want to lay here with you, sir or ma'am, you know? And like, that's okay. I get it. Maybe you had a bad experience. This has been really the dumbest thing I've ever said to a dental hygienist. What did you say? The dumbest thing I've ever said to a dental hygienist was a few months ago when I went to the dentist here in Windsor. Yeah. Uh, and she was super talkative, like Tanisha, she's awesome. She's Daisy, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Great dental hygienist. And she was just like talking the whole time. And you now I was asking questions like, um, but when they first started examining you, they just like poke around in your teeth, right? And so apparently she's like measuring the depths and to see if it's like higher than two millimeters, mm-hmm. <clears throat> see if there's any decay. She's explaining that to me, explaining me all types of things. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> She asked, like, oh, do you drink coffee? Uh, coffee or tea? And I was like, uh, no, just like decaf tea. And she's like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, it could stain your teeth, whatever. And I was like, okay. And then she even said, she's like, yeah, even if you like, you drink a lot of chocolate milk, like, it could stain your teeth. I'm like, okay, I drink a lot of normal milk. And this was back in my milk obsession. <laughs> I was like, I drink a lot of normal milk. Like, is that going to stain my teeth white? <laughs> <laughs> 
I just oh, know that she told all her friends about this dumbass patient. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. I love that you're asking questions, though. That's cute. You know, I mean, because logically speaking, like, you're drinking a lot of a, a very white beverage. Maybe it would do the opposite of a very brown beverage. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. it does not work that way. But for you, I wish it did. I am still thinking about that patient that used part of a hanger. Uh, right? Is there something you can say to scrub my mind of that? Oh, my gosh. I don't even know. Um, because I would... I don't care about the student loan debt. I would not go back into that practice. Yeah. Sorry, mom. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's wild. It's wild. Some of the things you see are a little bit crazy, but there's nothing like, there's nothing like the, the patient who's like, so like grateful for what you've done the other day. Yeah. I, um, I like wanted to cry. Actually, it was this patient who came in who the front two, the front two of teeth of his um were very decayed they'd been very decayed for like five or so years at that point and very decayed as in like the middle part of each of the ones um those two front teeth the middle side of them were like completely off so they looked almost like semi like semicircles were just like cut out of the middle of those teeth if that makes sense mm. so and then they were like you know brown and like the decay was there because that's just what happens if decay stays unchecked for a long time so I was able to like get in there, get all the decay out. And then with restorative material, match his tooth color exactly. And then rebuild those two front teeth. And like just getting to see his reaction when I finished everything up, polished them, beautified them. And then like getting to see his reaction when he held up the mirror was very, very, very special. And he said, wow, like I just learned to not smile or like hide my mouth for five years. So you've like literally given me back my smile and I was like I didn't you do changed his self-esteem right but at that moment I was really like wow like the power that teeth have you know in so mm -hmm. many aspects of people's lives and then internally so I just was like wow I like what I'm doing you know I like being a part of that ripple effect because who doesn't love being smiled at you know like who doesn't love being smiled at like in islam we believe that that's like a form of charity is when you smile at someone you know getting to be a part of someone feeling confident enough to share their smile and then in turn making someone else feel happy and then my my thought is that person would feel happy that they were smiled at that they'll smile at someone else so it's like a small chain of chain reaction of how like hopefully i can be a part of making the world a happier place i know that's super cheesy but like no you will be that is so that's, beautiful that's my that's how i feel like i can contribute you know and so i don't know i i remember asking you why you wanted to be a dentist you're like oh, like this girl's gonna not gonna get through orgo through all those <laughs> dental classes just she like smiles like she's gonna fall off <laughs> You never told me that, but I'm glad that you didn't voice your um, not belief in me. <laughs> now you're always encouraging along the road. So that was good. Yeah, even when you were crying because you had to drop out of chemistry. That's true. That's true. I think it's important that I let people know that, especially if anyone who listens to this podcast is like an aspiring dentist, it doesn't have to be, or like an aspiring pre health, pre dental, professional school of any kind. You're allowed to mess up like you are allowed to mess up. But what they want to see from you is that you're well-rounded and you're resilient and you can like bounce back and you work hard and you persevere. 
So a lot of people think they have to be like a genius all the time and like the smartest person of the pack and like ground breaking research and all of these things and the top all the time. But in reality, I think the things that have helped me the most, not to say that my hard work wasn't like a factor. Yeah, I had to bust my butt a lot for like sometimes just mediocre, you know, like bust my butt for just like passing. Um, but it's like remembering to be kind like in everything. That's probably, I know that sounds really simple and really cheesy, but that never doesn't help you along the way. And it's not be unkind, like be kind insincerely, just like sincerely believe that another person is worthwhile, worth your time, worth the time to like greet them, give them like, just like leave them with a positive association with you because that's a lot of times what healthcare is. So if your goal is to help people, then live your life where you're positively impacting someone every single day. And I think that that has helped me a lot more than my studies, more than whatever. A lot of times for me, it's like, if you, if the door opens up for like an interview, then that's the part that I can really shine through because it's like personability that I I don't want people to forget. Like if you're a bookworm and like a super, like super study and you think it's just about grades, I don't want you to forget to also get your head out of just studying and make sure that you're like, you know, practicing social interaction, practicing compassion, because those are the things that I think really actually helped me along the way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Wait, oh my great God. advice up and coming with medical professionals. Yeah. I wish more medical professionals felt like that because I feel like, like you said, some people in like in healthcare just think that they're just like, they're just spewing facts at you. Mm-hmm. But what about the compassion? You know, yeah. I am here because something happened to me or I'm here to get help. And I think I'm talking to somebody, but they're just, you know, treating me like if I was one of their classmates, it's like, yeah. I don't know what you're saying. Like, yeah. how can you help me? Like, simplify it. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. And, and it's smile. Like, you got to practice. Yeah, you got to practice. I think that's also like, I'd say like 85 to 90 percent of what you should do in healthcare too is like, meet people where they're at. I don't think enough people take the time to be like, okay, co-host them too. What happened? Like what happened <laughs> to get you to where you are? You know what I mean? Like just take a second yeah. and read the room. Even just mm-hmm. the first couple seconds you walk in and you see a patient that's there for you. Mm-hmm. Figure out why they're there for you for real. Not like, okay, let's see what's on the schedule for today. Okay. It's a filling in like these two or three teeth. Mm, let's talk about like, have you ever had fillings done before? What's your relationship with your previous dentists? What brings you into this one specifically? How can I make this the best encounter for you? You know what I mean? And I think people mm-hmm. just get so caught up in like time is money, time is money. Like yeah. we just have to like get through as much as we can that they forget that if you just take maybe like two more minutes and like listen to someone, it will make everything run so much more smoothly. So it like pays off in the long run, you know, cause like they'll feel supported they'll be more open and trusting and will help you help them. You know, it's like a team. I don't know. Some people are just like so focused on like just the problem. And it's like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, let's get a bit of more of a picture of what's going on. Or like this person that's come like this literal human being, you know what I mean? Do you think that you like being a woman, especially being a woman of color, especially being like a a Muslim woman of color, do you think that, you know, shapes you because mm-hmm. I, and not to stereotype men, you know, but I have found that my most like robotic customer service you know, experiences were with men mm-hmm. and the ones that were filled with compassion were with women. Yeah. I would say that that 
has 100% helped me, you know, really build this compassion side of things, not only being a woman, but also always kind of growing up as a minority, as a proud minority, you know, everybody goes through their like own levels of development and whatever. And you have to make decisions every day. Like, do I choose not to say like assimilating into a culture, assimilating into, you know, an identity is, is the wrong outlook. You know, it's just a different outlook than what I've been raised to be, which is like, be proud of your differences and be proud of who you are. Um, But that doesn't mean that it wasn't like an active choice every single day that I had to make that like, I was going to be the little black girl who couldn't go to the school dance <laughs> because, yeah. or for whatever reason, you know what I'm, cause like, that's not what like, you know, we're supposed to do when we're, you know, trying to be like good little Muslim kids or whatever, or just literally being, I mean, to take a bit of a, bit of a somber turn, but like being literally the only Muslim girl in the school, you know, when tragedies are happening, you know, and it's like extremists who are behind it, who claim your faith as theirs when that's not the reality of it. So I think constantly affirming to myself and to the people that are around me that like my differences are what make me strong and what make me special um, has, has helped me always try to put like put myself in people's shoes, if that makes sense. So always like what I was saying, like meeting people where they're at, everyone is unique, right? So everyone has their own background and backstory. So I think I prioritize that a little bit more than maybe someone else might who's just Mm -hmm. used to being the status quo or used to being the majority because they don't think about like, oh, this person had to take four buses to get here or, oh, this person doesn't speak English as their first language. So I should really make an active effort to see if they're understanding what I'm saying and how I can like be the most clear to them. So I think just always being different and believing in that being a strength has helped me like appreciate other people's differences and also like give them the space to be different without making them feel inferior. You know what I mean? Uh Like someone can't understand English really well. That doesn't mean speak louder. That means you do your best to make them not feel like they're dumb. Right. Uh And make them feel like they're the amazing, educated person, brave person for coming to you to seek help and do your best to, I don't mind looking dumb if I have to figure out words to use or like Google translate, you know, actively during an appointment. I don't mind. I don't mind. Cause like I should do my best and like do everything I can to make sure that you feel the most supported, not the other way around. And I think a lot of times people in like the white coat industry. So like, you know, physicians, dentists, vet veterinarians i know they don't talk to humans but like you know they have to talk to pet owners you know like people in these like white towers you know of just we've been in school for so long we're so smart and like all of this like they get caught up in feeling like people need to be on their level when in reality there's no level for people that are in healthcare if anything we're we're supposed to be signing our lives over to service like we're mm-hmm. we're there to serve people So do your best to do that and do your best to like bring yourself to whatever level that somebody is at. No, that was a lot, but I think it, it does definitely help being an other category in this field. Uh, Number one, you didn't not go to parties. You were homecoming queen in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she's a liar. (laughs) No, I'm not a liar. I didn't go to the dance. I didn't go to the dance. Yeah. I went to the football game because we can do sports. (laughs) Okay, so she was a cheerleader in high school. That, I was not a cheerleader, actually. I was not. I was just well liked. 
<laughs> Number two, white coat industries. You guys have your heads so far up your asses. What? Yeah, girl. It's true. It's true. Like, it's a thing. Like, people just love their white coats. And, like, some reason think that that's some sort of status symbol. And I'm like, it's not. Like, it. it yeah. It's not. It shouldn't be. Like, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be what makes people lack humility. I don't know. I don't know. For me, service equals humility. So if you lack humility, what are you doing in healthcare? Like, I just don't get it. You know what I mean? You're doing no. you're doing healthcare for the wrong reason. You're definitely like one of few who think that way. Because I think some people, they just, you know, they get so tied to like the degree and, you know, mm. and they feel so powerful, you know, and I would too. I mean, if medical school is no joke, yeah. you know? And if I had a like a med school degree, I would be walking around the most pompous ass, you know. <laughs> so you know, tell OSU like don't accept her. She tries school, <laughs> but you can be proud of your profession. You can be proud of where you came from. You can be proud of your ha- hard work, mm-hmm. and you don't have to belittle people while you're doing yeah, that. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Any closing questions or thoughts? Funniest um, dentist school memory. Funniest dental school memory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because yes, it's hard, of course. Yeah, but, you know, you've had fun. Yeah, you know, like what? What is the moment that made it worth it? Besides, you know, <laughs> that guy and his beautiful smile. Beth, um, I think one thing that was really funny and just like really reminded me of how much we still have to learn in life and in dental school was, <laughs> I'd say it was like fairly early on. Um, and when I like started to do clinical stuff, but I was showing the faculty member who was like working with me that day, a, a patient's um, x-rays. And I was like, so yeah, I think, you know, this tooth, I think it's on like her upper left and blah, blah. And I was talking about it and she's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want to say it loudly, the faculty member, because the patient was right there, but she was like, mm-hmm, yep. So this, this x-ray is actually up to me. So she like had me not say it. So I was like literally talking about the opposite diagonal tooth. Like I, it, it's not the upper right. It's literally the lower left. So I was like, oh, that's not nice. That is so embarrassing. So imagine if it was like a, an extraction. Oh my gosh. Wrong. I have had nightmares about that. I genuinely have nightmares. Like sometimes during when I'm extracting a tooth, I'll like look at the tooth the right one. and then be like, let me make sure, you know, like, let me double check. Like I'll keep on double checking throughout. And then I'm like, well, I took one out. So it's, it's already out. <laughs> no, but thankfully I've never had like a wrong tooth situation yet. So knock on wood, but knock on wood. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> And that wraps it up for this episode of Sorry, This Podcast Sucks. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening and fuck off. No, uh, just continue to fuck off, all of you. (laughs) We'll talk to you next week.